Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today. And with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. And also with us today is Margaret sleeping on the floor and Stevert trying to break through the door. He is. He's over there rattling the door to the office. Hopefully we can't hear that on the recording. But yes, welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. We are a podcast all about board games, card games, tabletop games, role-playing games, things of that sort, as well as beer from time to time. And by that, I mean almost every episode. Well, that was a loud one. From time to time, we mean this time, right here, right now. Delty's got us an amber pouring. So the first beer today is from Mountain Fork Brewery down in Hochatown, Oklahoma. We talked about Mountain Fork a while back when we talked about going down to Hochatown uh, outside of Broken Bow to the Beaver's Bend area. Yes, and it's also called Hochatown. Not Hochatown. Hochatown. Yes, they have to have that inflection. Yes. Uh, this is their Timber Creek Amber Ale. It's a 12-ounce can at 4.5% alcohol by volume. It says they were established in 2015. Our goal is to produce easy-drinking, creatively crafted beer with you in mind. And that's it. There's no other flavor profiles, nothing like that. But it is an amber. Most Mountain Fork is like that. It's like, here's the beer. Here's the orange lettering. It's a beer. Right. It has alcohol. They don't give you all those profile notes and things. It's an amber. So this one, uh, I mean, it's definitely an amber. You can see through it, though. It's not hazy at all. It smells really sweet. Well, is that the beer we had before this? Oh, the I raspberry? Forgot. We had a raspberry beer in this. I, I didn't rent out the glasses, did you? Nope. So th- there might be a little tainted. Well, I was like, oh my God, that smells really fruity for yeah. uh, an amber. So Okay, if you do, I don't trust you necessarily, but let the beer pour up toward the rim and rotate it a little. As far as I remember, only one person on this podcast has spilled a beer Margie. twice. Margie. Three times? Uh, I don't know. I didn't. Sp- I only spilt once. The rest of them were the cans trying to explode. Don't don't do that anymore because you're not doing it well. And I feel like <laughs> when you start doing it well, now now you're gonna slosh it. Here, just take a drink. All right. <laughs> Haley's spinning it in her beer, losing all the carbonation. It's getting really foamy. I can't taste the raspberry, so that's good. It was just like the scent lingering. It's a very smooth, very smooth amber. It comes in a little high on the carbonation. Kind of dries out in the middle, but finishes more carbonated, which is interesting. I taste more of the raspberry. I don't taste the raspberry. I taste a lot of the I raspberry. S- I s- plug your nose. I think it's more smell. Just hold your nostrils. It's really difficult to do with a hoop ear or nose ring. That's your fault. <laughs> plug my nose this way. There you go. Plug your nose that way and take a drink and see if that helps since you're blocking out the scent receptor. I think you got to pick your glass up more. There you go. Is that better? I taste nothing. You taste nothing? Because <laughs> <laughs> my nose is blocked. No, I think it's pretty good. It's a pretty solid amber. It's got that, uh, there, there's a there's a tone that amber has. There's a flavor note that I can never put my finger on. It's not hazelnut, but it's kind of a little bit of like nuttiness in the middle. I'm going to tap out of this beer tasting because I just taste either nothing when my nose is plugged or raspberries. So. Every time you take a drink, rotate your glass just a little bit. So you can slowly get the amber coating at all. It'll get rid of that raspberry flavor. No, like drink from this side, then your next drink, turn your glass a little, then drink from that side. Don't drink at the same time while rotating. You're bad with directions. (laughs) This is like, it's like the directions game where it's like, here, make me a peanut butter jelly sandwich. It's like, pick up the butter knife. And the person doing it picks it up by the blade of the butter knife. It's like that, except 
worse. Well, when you give directions, like you leave half of them out. So it's like, can you go over there and get me that thing? And I like hand you a coffee cup. You're like, no, I meant the loaf of bread sitting on the kitchen table. Like, what? But, but I love that this one distinct moment where I'm telling you how to drink this to slowly wash the cup. It's fine. Everything's fine. Well, what have we been up to in the past couple weeks? Oh, God, a lot. It's a lot, but I also can't think of anything. My brain's just frying out. I think part of it's I'm tired. It's Friday night. But what have we done? Aside from you had work. Yes. So we had a big conference that my work put on, and I got to help organize that. And it was a massive success, and I also came home with 40 popsicles, so I can't complain. The only bad part is you didn't get a ride in a hot air balloon. I did not get a ride in a hot air balloon. Long story short, uh, Google your vendors. There you go. That's all I will say. There you go. And I did not get my hot air balloon ride. But, like I said, I got 40 popsicles, and I got to stay in scenic Midwest City overnight. Oh, yeah. I walked across the parking lot to buy a 25-ounce can of a Topo Chico seltzer, ate pizza in bed while watching The Office, got up the next morning, drank some coffee, and led some fantastic training. So I feel like I did a good job. It sounds like it. At least it sounds like it went well. All it was all fun, too. at least. I also got free uh, Olive Garden. Worth. Worth it. Breadsticks. Vegan breadsticks. I don't know how, but they are. And then on top of that, we also... Oh, we haven't told them. We went on a 13-mile hike. And we, Have we not talked about that? No, because the podcast episode released the day of. Oh, that's right. So we went on a 13-mile hike, and we found out about eight miles in that eight miles is about our limit. But unfortunately, we're about five miles from the car. So... Yeah, so eight miles is our limit at our normal pace. Because we started this hike, and I said, we need to pace ourselves, make sure that we're comfortable, we're not overdoing it, yada yada. Uh, well, we didn't. We kept our normal pace. So over the 13 miles of hiking, if you don't include the bathroom break and the snack break and then the one other sit break, if you don't include those, which I didn't on my tracking, uh, we were doing 18 minutes per mile for the whole yeah. 13 miles. That was our average. Much impressed. Uh, it was very fast. Uh, that's also the hike that made me determine that my hiking shoes were indeed too tight and I needed to try to find a wider shoe. Thank goodness I found out that they made that shoe in wide. So I was able to just go to REI and drop those in and say, hey, I need to return these to get the wide size. You guys online said you had it. And they said, no problem. I think it's 90 days if you have the receipt. It's one year if you're a member, which we are, but I haven't even had these 90 days. Uh, And I cleaned them, of course, before taking them in, which you are supposed to do because when you return things to REI, they sell it as a used item based on condition. And that way, if you're looking for some more affordable gear that may be lightly used, or it could be honestly moderately used depending on the item and the person, uh, they have a used section that's only accessible if you have the membership, uh, at least to purchase those items. But I got to take those back. Only had about 40 miles on them total, uh, 40 miles and three different states, which is pretty funny. But I was able to get the wider size. And two national parks. And two national parks. Uh, haven't tried these. I tried these on at the store, walked around and, uh, I did what you're supposed to do, which is order or get your shoes a half to a full size bigger than your regular shoe size. So I went one half size up, uh, that way as your feet swell on the hike, especially when you're normally wearing uh cushier or, uh, you know, a little bit thicker socks on hiking, uh, it gives your foot room to swell without 
squeezing your toes like the other one was, which was starting to give me blisters. So I did good. But yeah, 13 miles uh, at a fast pace. No, if we slowed down and took longer, because that 13 miles took us how long, including breaks? Oh, God, like four hours? I think it was four and a half. Four and a half hours? Uh, if we would have made that six hours, I think we would have been fine. It, but it we just, had things to do. We had sake to buy. We did. We went straight to the liquor store. I was barely able to walk through the door. I hurt so badly. You didn't even walk through the door, Delt. I went in the liquor store with you. You made me. <laughs> no, I said you could sit in the car. But we went. I went in with you. You made me go in. I went to the thing and said, I want to buy this one. You said, that one's a little expensive. Can we get a cheaper oh, one? Oh, yeah, I forgot. And we had a whole conversation about the price of sake. <laughs> and then we went and checked out. And the lady was like, okay. how was your hike? And I was like, I'm dead. My, uh, my cognition was not at yes, full I know. Because literally, if you've ever been at that point of physical exhaustion that you have like feverish chills, and every time you stand up, you feel like you're going to throw up, that's how bad it was for me. Because we went out and it was a hot, humid day. We did this big hike. Uh, no, we're, no sunburns. We were dressed like we were on safari. I mean, uh, let's be fair. We're pale. And when we burn, we turn bright red, we peel, and then we're pale again. And we also, both of our families have a very high risk of melanoma. So for us, yeah. it, it's more important to be covered and not get burnt or attempt to tan. So we go out looking like we're on safari, but it's worth it to protect our skin. Because I went out in a sleeveless dress on the day before Mother's Day, took my mom, my sister, and my niece to the ballet, and I stood in line for 15 minutes trying to get a couple of bottles of water for my niece and got a sunburn that I have applied aloe vera to four times a day, every day for the last six days. I'm still bright red and hurting. Yeah, it's, it's just now peeling, but she, you can obviously tell she has a sunburn. You're a lizard, Haley. You are a lizard. But uh, too bad you can't be like a lizard and bask in the sun without dying. <laughs> I just like slowly lick my eyeball. Yeah, basically. But yes, yeah, so we did a 13-mile hike, tested our limits there for sure. Uh, what else have we done? I'm trying to think of anything. It's just been busy. We've been work-wise work and family stuff. and We're swearing off plans for the month of June and July because after all this busyness, where are we going in a couple weeks, Delty Poo? Oh, yeah. So I guess we haven't said this yet. Uh, here in, at the end of the month, we are going as an early birthday present to me, thanks to Haley. We are going to Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, we get to see our friend Corey, which is exciting. But more, not more importantly, but more for my birthday, Corey is a bonus we get to go to Vegas for. But the real birthday present is Haley got me tickets to AEW. They are doing their Double or Nothing pay-per-view. It's finally in Vegas for the first time in two years. And we get to go to their Wednesday night TV show, their Friday night TV show, and their Sunday night pay-per-view, uh, all there in Vegas at the different hotels on the Strip. So that was the big uh, birthday present for me, even though it's early. So we get to do that at the end of the month. And so I'm super excited to go see that because I have we've gotten to see AEW Live once. I've been to one New Japan show in Texas and one Ring of Honor show here in Oklahoma. And I'm so excited to get to see... Three awesome AEW shows, and this pay-per-view is going to be exhausting, but the card is stacked, and I'm so excited. And what else do you get to see in Vegas, Delty Poo? We also get to, uh, well, I say get to, we have now planned, Vegas is the closest airport to Death Valley National Park in California. Vegas is a two-hour drive, so we are renting a car and driving to Death Valley to go hiking, see the sights, 
stop at the restaurant and have a beer. Get and, sunburned. Uh, hopefully not get sunburned. I think the high temp for that day around 5 p.m. is 102. So an average Oklahoma August, except without the humidity, <laughs> which is nice. Uh, but we're going to get to do that. And then we are, I think we've decided we're going to head out there. And then I don't know exactly how we're going to do our schedule. We still have to figure out the details of that day. But we're going to hang around till dark because Death Valley National Park is supposed to be one of the most gorgeous night skies, especially on a new moon. And we are only like going to be two or three days removed from a new moon, which means there's a chance that we'll get to see the Milky Way galaxy and some of that stuff in the sky. Very excited to have that sort of night sky overhead. We're very much looking forward to the trip. It's going to be an adventure. It's going to be a lot of fun. Dalton's going to get at least two new states under his belt. I will. Nevada will be new, and then crossing over into California will be new. And we even thought about driving over to uh, Arizona just for a hot second. Because we plan on seeing the Hoover Dam, and the Arizona border's like 20 minutes from the Hoover Dam. Because you so got to go on the dam tour. you got to go on the dam tour. It's basically only like an, uh, we could get there within an hour of Vegas, basically, as well as seeing those sheep, hopefully, in that park. But that's going to be super, super exciting. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be something very different. I told Haley, I don't want to spend a lot of time on the strip. I want to see it. We want to go to a few things. We want to spend, like, I told her I would rather spend an evening there when the sun's not out and it's a little cooler. But I want to see some of the stuff, see a couple of the casinos. But I more so want to see what Vegas actually has to offer and Nevada in general and just kind of see the town. I think we're also going to go to a board game cafe. What was it called? Was it like Meeple City? Meepleville. Meepleville. Uh, something like that. But it's a board game cafe, and I've heard about it before. It's supposed to be really nice. Uh, but I want to look at some stuff like that and just kind of see see the city, see some cool stuff. And Delta's going to get all of his presents early because we're going to uh, Las Vegas early, and he's also going to get his birthday present this weekend. Yay. But why? Because you know that I cannot wait <laughs> to give you, you presents. You can't wait a whole month? I can't wait a whole month. Actually, it's more than a month. It's a thir- It's a month and 10 days. I just need somebody to basically. take my credit card between April and June and then between like October and December because I always buy your birthday present like two months in advance because I want to be prepared. But then I give it to you two months in advance because I can't wait. Is this something that's going to be useful in Vegas or no? I'm not going to give you any hints at all. Okay. Because I was like, it could be anything. I've given you... So many ideas in the past two weeks. What's your top three guesses? Uh, my top three guesses are some sort of travel bag because I keep obsessing over a travel backpack or a travel duffel bag. Uh, one of the two board games that I keep saying I need to make you buy me because you still owe me a board game for trying to kill me at Cabin Con. Yeah, well, I, that wouldn't be birthday. I haven't cashed that in yet. No, but you could always add something to it to make it birthday was my brain thought. Well, then you would be like, ah, I still get to get a, a birthday board game. <laughs> That's true. Loophole. A loophole. Uh, and then my third item would probably be just literally any of the thousands of things that I've been like, we need this for backpacking to build up so we can go. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. Got you a headlamp. You got me a headlamp? Yeah. Did you really? No. Oh, well, it'd be handy. You sound so disappointed. <laughs> no, it's like, it would be handy. Uh... That's just funny. I, you're not the one to give it away. That's I think the disappointment was, oh, is she actually telling me? <laughs> no. I like surprises. I know you do. But yes, so all that stuff's coming up. We're camping in June down in the Wichita National Wildlife Refuge. Is that what it is? 
Sure. Some it's it's the Wichita Mountains Wildlife Area down in Oklahoma, and then in uh uh August we're going to Gen Con in Portland to see Jennifer and Nick. Yay, Jennifer! I need to text you back about game day. I hope that you have fun with your family. <laughs> we we we're two hours apart, and I text her like before she wakes up, and then she texts me, and I'm like, oh. I'm in bed or I'm in, I'm, I'm working and I forget to respond. So that's my bad. So I'm responding to you now, Jennifer. Hope you have fun with your family. and We'll connect on a game day in June. We will. But yes, getting to do that in August, we are going to, uh, I'm trying to think now we have, because we Guadalupe. finally planned everything. We are going to Guadalupe National Mountain or so Guadalupe Mountain National Park in Texas, which is just south of New Mexico on Labor Day weekend. We are, since I have a free three day weekend, we're going to make the drive. It's like nine hours, but we're driving and camping, and we are hiking up to Guadalupe Peak, which is the highest peak in Texas. Uh, we're also going to see the Carlsbad Caverns, because I've always wanted to go, and it's like 20 minutes from Guadalupe Mountains. And we're going through Roswell, New Mexico, because aliens. Aliens. We have all kinds of crazy plans coming up uh, that aren't that crazy, most of them camping-related or friend-related, but for us, that's exciting. Or alien-related. Or alien-related. Alien. I feel like we've been talking forever. It's been like 20 minutes almost of banter before edits. We're just excited about things. We've done a lot. We get to do a lot. We get to see a lot. And it's just, it's just been good. There's a lot. There's a lot of stuff. I am ready for June just to not go anywhere for a little bit. Yeah, aside from our camping trip, just to hang out and relax by yes. ourselves. And just take a breather. Yes. I think we're going to need it after Death Valley saps the life out of us. It'll be more downtime to play more games. Oh, here's the door. Uh, it's straight ahead. It's it's a game. So the game for today, we finally after when did I say I ordered this from Kickstarter? Uh, it was like 2018, 2018, <laughs> four years ago. So today the uh we are finally got and busted out off of the to be played shelf. Co two second chance. Uh, Co two second chance is for one to four players. Uh, the design is by Vital Lacerda, art by Ian O'Toole, graphic design and 3D illustrations are Ian O'Toole, main developer is Paul Inkow, solo game development is uh, Julian Pombo, rulebook and 3D illustrations are Vital Lacerda, and English rules editing is Nathan Morse. This was through, uh, I pronounce it geochicks.it. It is uh, G-I-O-C-H-I-X dot I-T. Geochics. Yeah, they, they do Kickstarter stuff for a lot of European companies. Um, because that's where... Joshi. That's where all of these games, all the Vitala Serta games tend to come out of Europe. So uh, this company tends to run the Kickstarters and stuff, and then somebody picks up a, a, a distribution for the U.S. after that. So this is CO2 Second Chance. CO2 was an early Vital Lacerda game, or at least I viewed it as early because I saw it on the board game shelves at Little Shop of Games in Oklahoma City before it closed, which it closed, I mean, it was a while. Like 2014 it closed? Maybe. I started going there in probably 10 or 11, and I, when I started buying board games, I saw it and I wanted it, but at that time, I didn't understand that games had a higher price sometimes, and it was like 80 bucks, so I never did, but I loved the look of the cover. So when I saw CO2 Second Chance was coming out and that they were reworking the game and also making the main game fully cooperative with a competitive semi-co-op essentially set up, like a, a, a variant of sorts, I was all in to get that. I was very excited. So 
I got to back this, and we finally got it to the table. Being a Vital Lacerda game, we've talked about this before, they're intimidating. Vital Lacerda, as a designer, is very divisive among players. They either love him or they hate him. There's not too much in between. There is in between, of course, but it tends to be drastic one side or the other. Uh, For other examples of his games, you have Kanban, you have Lisboa, you have Vinhos, and The Gallerist, as well as On Mars and Escape Plan. I just want to poke in a little caveat there. You don't hate the designer, you hate the game. That's true. (laughs) That's true. He is a designer that just doesn't click with everyone. And we've talked about before that some designers click with others, uh, people differently. I tend to click really well with Alexander Pfister games. Haley clicks really well with Uwe Rosenberg games. And so everybody kind of has a designer that they they just click with their designs, they get them, it makes sense, they can function in, within that design easily. Vital Acerta, if you click with his designs, I don't know how. Because I they tend to me to feel just very hard to uh, work your brain around, get the full concept to grasp all of it. But surprisingly, CO2 Second Chance, I think, has been his most accessible game that I've played, which I've only played the three now, Kanban, CO2, and Lisboa. But this one out of those two is the most accessible in my opinion. I'm Vitalis certain I could play it again. Yeah, Haley could actually play it again. They're saying something. But, uh, so CO2 Second Chance, um, we only played the cooperative version. We only played it two-player, and we played it two separate times because the first time we lost in the first quarter of the game, the second time we lost right before the halfway point. So it's not an easy cooperative game. It's actually very difficult. But the way the game plays is you all are playing corporations trying to build greener, uh, uh, what's the term, energy systems, greener energy plants, basically, for the world to help try to slow down or at least balance out CO2 emissions and climate change. So during the game, you will be working together to build infrastructure in different countries to then, uh, I guess you're going to plan on building some plants. You're going to send scientists to research those. The scientists can go off to summits to talk about those plans and things. You can build infrastructure once you have the plan out. And then from the infrastructure, uh, you can build or somebody can build a power plant of a certain type, whether that be a a water-based power plant or hydro or trees, or solar energy, whatever type of energy source you want to build for that plant, you can build it, and that can be sufficiently helping out the environment by using greener resources. So over the course of the game, you're going to be putting those plans down, moving your scientists, drawing some cards, trying to appease the UN. You're going to be trying to do different goals, like let's put a a, a forestry, you know, some forest green energy in Asia, and we need to put a wind energy plant in the United States or North America, and we're going to accomplish those goals to help us not die. The key is, for every country or every continent group outside of Antarctica, which I have from the Kickstarter as an expansion, I don't think it comes in the base game outside of that. I'm not sure, but we didn't play with it. But out of the six countries, uh, the ones that did not have a new plant, a green energy plant built, in that round of the game, there's only four full like rounds, uh, they will then go ahead and continue using their existing coal, oil, whatever, which adds to the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere 
And if that number ever reaches too far, game's over, yo. Or if you ever lose points under, if your points ever hit zero or under, the game is over. And there is a lot of ways you lose points, I feel like, at the end of every round. So that's kind of a quick overview, a a simplification of everything. Uh, You're going to be taking actions, talking things out, trying to determine who wants to do what, what are you going for, where can we try to make sure we're not losing points. Because at the end of the round, you have to spend points to pull that uh, amount of CO2, depending on how high it is, pull it down to the acceptable level. You also are going to have to pay your points to bump up your team's point track because when you lose points, you want to make sure that you're not going to lose so many uh, that you're going to lose the game. So it's very hard. This is a very, very difficult game. But what I've enjoyed about it is out of all Vitalisertus games, his games usually function along the same lines, which is that you take a single action of a very limited few. It's like, all right, you're going to take one of these two actions. Like in Lisboa, you play a card here or you play a card here. Depending on where you play it and what's on it and everything, this and this and this and this and this happens, right? It kind of chains. It's like a pyramid. Kanban is sort of the same way, but to me, Kanban was way more accessible than Lisboa. And CO2 takes that even further because you've got three main actions and you've got three other actions. They all do one thing. Not too many things chain off of one another. So I felt like it was simple enough to look at the board and say, I can build the plans here. If you will put your infrastructure there, that gets you closer to a UN card, which will help uh, give us some points, which will help us kind of not die at the end of the round. And then I will build a power plant there to give me control since I'm out of this resource and I can use it. So you have a lot of opportunities to plan in this because it's easy to see what the actions are going to do compared to his other games we've played where it feels like sometimes you do an action not realizing the chain effects fully. It was easier to play this game. However, we still, after two plays, did not bring the world past 2020. So that was a little disheartening for multiple reasons. It's very difficult. It's just a, it's, it's a hard game. I don't think we were missing anything, but I'm going to need to look it up now to be like, hey, what the hell am I missing? But it's a really neat and interesting game to where... I'm trying to think of more ways to more things to bring up rather than just the the mechanics of the game or the way you put things down because the mechanics were actually very simple. And I think that's why this feels accessible is your main mechanics is I'm going to put this piece here just to mark I'm taking this action and I just put a thing down and do whatever or I spend a thing to be able to do this. And none of that was over the top. None of it was complicated. If you've played any modern board game, all of the actions in this game makes sense and their chain the things that happen from doing them is not hard to follow i found i feel like after our first play and really after the first few rounds we were like oh okay i get it it was easy to get you know and my biggest complaint with vitalisertus games in the past have been they've just felt like they were complicated for complication's sake uh when we played lisboa and again i I won this game so i'm i'm not just coming at it from a salty loser because i actually won but i just i just felt it was way too or way more complicated than it needed to be. It had way too many steps, way too much stuff to worry about. I felt like it could have been streamlined a lot more. And with uh, Kanban, I also I felt like that was more complicated than it, than it needed to be. And for me, it just kind of killed the fun. Because I like complicated games. I mean, by God, when we played uh, Twilight Imperium, I, I love that. It was really fun. We played it for four and a half hours, and that is a very, that's a very complicated game. 
But I just, if there's not a purpose for the complication, that's what really turns me off. It's just complicated to be complicated. I guess you can make that argument for all board games because we're sitting there giving ourselves problems for two hours. Right. But uh, in my experience so far with Atala Serta, that's what I felt like. like. Okay, yes, I am sitting down to play a board game, creating problems for myself, setting goals for myself that I don't need to that are arbitrary. But I want to have fun in the process. And I felt like there was too much that it was difficult to have fun. Now with this one, it is, like Delton said, a lot easier to get into. It's a lot easier to understand the mechanics of the game, and there's not a lot of complicated for complicated sake. However, as easy as it is to get into it, it is very difficult to win. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I'm not sure. Like, I don't think we missed a rule. No, I don't think so. Because I went through everything multiple times. We walked through everything. I read through the rule book, I think, two or three times over the course of, like, six months or something, right? And I looked through BGG forums about things, and it just seems like it's a really complex game and just one of those that's going to take more plays. Now, one of my questions is if having more players is a direct benefit because at the two-player count, you can only build two power plants max in a round, right? At a three-player count, I think you can build three player, or uh, I think you can build three power plants max because there's just enough turns if everyone does a power, does one step, you can build three. That would p- prevent anywhere from 20 to 60 point loss, or sorry, 20 60 uh, CO2 gain, which is big. But then you have fewer rounds within a turn as well, or turns within a round. You, you, do, you do have, yeah, because there's, there's basically uh, however many Instead of four, turns. you have three. And yeah. then under, in the four player, instead of four, you have two. That's very true. But even then, like with a four player, it seems difficult because with two rounds, Everybody has to team up to make sure you have enough power plants. But in a three-player, you can get three power plants. In a two-player, even with the most that many rounds, you can only get two power plants. So I feel like maybe the three-player count would be a lot easier because you're not lo- losing, you're not gaining as much CO2, which means you're not losing as many points trying to bring that number down, that parts per million number or whatever. But it is. It's a very difficult cooperative game. But uh, even though it was cooperative, I'm going to eat my words a little bit because whenever we sat down and like I always try to have a positive attitude, even if it is a game that uh, I'm not really a fan, I don't think I'm going to be a fan of. Usually I don't even vocalize that. But this is one of the rare times where we sat down, Delton explained the rules, and I looked at him and I said, I'm going to play this and I'm going to have a good time, but I don't think I'm going to enjoy this game. And I I really did enjoy it, though. Like I enjoyed the experience. We played it twice. Like we... We played it the first time. We lost miserably. Didn't even make it out of the 2010s. And I said, okay, let's. I, I feel like we can't give this a fair review just playing it once. Let's go ahead and play it again. And we did not make it out of the 2020s, but we, we played a few more rounds of it. And it was more enjoyable. And so I think that's just a testament, too, of going into something with a positive attitude, even if you don't think you're going to like it, because that was definitely me. Delton explained the rules, and I saw Vital asserted, and I was like, I am going... I'm just straight up not going to have a good time, bro. Just straight up. But I actually did, and I enjoyed it. Do I want to play it again? Not right now. If Delton says in six months, hey, do you want to play CO2 again? I'll be like, mm. if you play Twilight Struggle, then I'll play CO2. But I wouldn't like totally swear it off like I would probably Lisboa, because Lisboa, I do not want to play again. And that's completely fair. It's just a different style, which this one... Like you said, this one, the difficulty doesn't come from mechanics being so interconnected to the point of being very hard to figure out, where it looks like, I mean, if, if, some of those with Lisboa, it feels like you're looking 
at a circuit board that you've never studied. Like I, I know nothing about electronics. And if you gave me like the patterns and pathways for a circuit board and said, figure this out, I couldn't like, it would take me forever and I would not have a great time. And I feel like that's Lisboa, but CO2, the difficulty is not within that. Just the difficulty is within the execution. It's within how do we solve this puzzle that's coming at us? Because we all have the same, uh, essentially the same amount of things we can do. We have the same amount of options and we're actually working together in the cooperative version, but it's how can we work together well enough to survive and make it through the last like big round. And it's just difficult. It's a difficult one, but I do think it's a very fun game. I, I did enjoy it. And every time I think about it, like talking about it now, I'm going, okay, what could we have done differently? Well, maybe if the cards in our hand, we kept not playing them, not playing them, not playing them because we couldn't do that. But we could have played them for the smaller thing just to help us get an extra few bucks or whatever, which could have saved doing an action to gain those few bucks, which then could have done something sooner. And so I'm already thinking like, oh, I could have done this differently to perform better, essentially. And it's it's hard to wrap my mind around that sometimes, but this is a game that has me thinking a little bit about how I could play it better. So at some point, I would like to try this again, even if it's with more people, you know, like with Brian or something like that, just to sit down and say, okay, hard cooperative game, pay attention to the rules, we'll walk through it, trust me, you'll get it, and go for it. Yes, this definitely seems like a game you might need to practice. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. But before we practice, let's pregame. So before we get into this topic, we are going to have another beer from our great friend, I should say a friends, Ben and Jesse out of Ohio. So today, uh, the second beer for the episode is from Wolf's Ridge Brewing. This is Gold Saucer. It is their Lucky Sour Ale. It's made of Sabro hops, pineapple, and pink guava. It is a 6% alcohol by volume at a 14 IBU. This is a one pint beer. It is condensating everywhere because this computer room gets so hot in the summer. Uh, but Delton, you have tinfoil on the windows. I, only on part of the windows. Uh, so the, the note from Ben on this one says, I promised you a variety. I can't vouch for this beer or brewery. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. <laughs> so he has not had this one. Uh, I'm guessing that means Jesse has not had this one. We're doing it live, Cotton. So we are going to try it out here, which I should say, Ben has been sending uh, little follow-up things on the beers he's drinking. Oh, I can't get this open. My, I cut my nails today and they're too short. Mm, I my, got it. My I'm strength. not using your monkey toes. What? Excuse me. You heard me. Open cans with your toes. Uh, but yes, Ben has been sending me updates on the Discord about the beers he's trying that we sent him because he tried Coop's F5 first because I told him that it is a classic it was the first like west coast style ipa on the oklahoma market it came early and it hit hard it was the og it hit when everybody was all about ipa 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 you i went could nothing not but bitter it. yeah there were times where it was completely sold out oh this is a pulpy beer what the heck i thought delton thought it was, delton and i both thought it was sediment but as delton just pointed out it is just a pulpy beer I'm gonna crush it. Don't crush it. I'm gonna crush it. Look at that. There's actual is so, that actual pulp? It's actual pineapple and guava pulp down in this beer. 
This is a fruit smoothie. Fascinating. It is a sour, so which means you can't really see through it because it's got a lot of haze. Oh my god, it that's a fresh like, grapefruit. It smells like fruit pulp. That one got me a little wrinkled. It's a grapefruit rind, is what it smells like. Yeah. Well, some bit. All right, here we go. Woo! Ah! That's a sour, but that's really good. That's. It tastes like freshly squeezed juice. Not even like you know some beers taste like Sunny D. Yeah. This tastes like fresh, <laughs> freshly squeezed juice. Every time I think of Sunny D, and I'm like, man, Sunny D would be nice to drink. I remember one time when I was a kid and I was going to with my dad to check on his wells. He was a pumper for a local oil company here in Oklahoma. We stopped at the gas station in town and I got a Sunny D and some sort of snack. And I eat the snack really fast and I drink the Sunny D and we get like three miles from town and I go, I'm going to throw up. And he's like, excuse me? I go, I'm going to throw up. And he pulls over and I open the door and I throw up Sunny D everywhere. <laughs> and ever since then, every time I think, oh, Sunny D, that sounds kind of good. And then I think about it and I'm like, you know, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Because Sunny D already tastes kind of like vomited up uh, uh, orange juice. It's all the calcium they put in it. I don't even think it's that. I don't know what it is. It's just fake. But uh, this tastes like actual fruit juice. That was yes. just my Sunny D story. <laughs> Do you ever drink high C? Not really. If I did, it was fruit punch. Does McDonald's still sell high C? I have no. I haven't been to McDonald's in years, aside from getting fries at the one in Montreal. Listeners, please tell me, does McDonald's still sell high C? This is very important to know. I don't think it's very important. But yeah, so this beer is definitely sour. It does have that fruit juice, like, taste. We haven't got to, like, I don't think I'm drinking the rinds, but I guess I am the pulp. But it's surprisingly good. I'm kind of excited to see what it's like when you get down into the stuff. It's almost like I'm expecting it to be like drinking those aloe vera drinks that we get from Super Cow. I'm expecting that, like, little bits of pulp and little bits of, like, the flesh of the, the, veg, the fruits. This is dangerously drinkable for 6%. It really is. It's a good beer. So thank you, Ben. Yes, uh, thank you guys so much. If you like sours that have a bunch of shit in it, I think this is a good one for sure. Bunch of good shit. A bunch of good shit. It tastes good. It tastes great. I'm excited to get down into that. But yeah, so the topic for today on this long episode is practicing games. This was Haley's idea. Uh, Haley, do you want to talk about why you chose this? Because I feel like in order to win at CO2, that is a game that we will have to practice. And it got me thinking, you know, there are games that we have really practiced in order to get better at. And so that's what I wanted to talk about today is games you have to practice or games you feel like you need to practice or why you've practiced games. There are different reasons why you could try to practice games, right? So CO2, along with other cooperative games, I feel like you practice those because you have to get better not only at the game, but as a group, you learn how to work together with each other and you learn how to overcome these uh, objectives in the best way possible, possible while everyone's having it a good time. So that's kind of one of the one of the reasons you would practice a game, but then there's also the other side of it where something like chess, where you practice a game strictly to get better at the game from a competitive standpoint. And so I guess the real question is, aside from the teamwork aspect, is there a big difference in practicing a game such as a co-op to get it better versus practicing a game from a competitive standpoint? Or is it virtually the same thing? For me, it's the same thing. It's just different ways of going about it. Some of it, you're learning the skills on your own. Some of it, you're learning how to best play off each other's talents and roles within the game. So think about like Billy Kerr. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one that we have definitely tried and 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 tried until we got permission from Sweet Boy Michael himself to go ahead and go past one of the one of the challenges because we tried so hard. Yeah, because the the third scenario of the ten, I think we played it seven times. 
we were one card away from beating it and never could beat it. And he said, I give you permission to consider that completed and move on. I said, okay. I appreciate it. And so, you know, it's kind of like uh, playing video games. Like if you're playing, a, a, I heard recently, Seal Team 6 is a video game that you play where you play as a, as a team in order to defeat the commies or whatever it is. Rainbow Six? Rainbow Six. Rainbow Six Siege is the real popular one. Rainbow Six Siege. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's kind of like that. Like it's, you're, you're, it's still the same concept. You're trying to get better. You're trying to be the best. You're trying to be the winner. But just in some circumstances, you're working on your own skills and others, you're having to work together to play off each other's strengths and weaknesses. But that's my opinion. What do you think? I don't know. It's it, it's a it's an interesting aspect to think about because when you're working together and you are practicing a cooperative game where you're trying to learn how to work together, playing that way versus a competitive game in a competitive game you're working to how do i put this it's almost like it's almost the same thing just in an opposite manner i'm working with you to get better at this game or i'm working against you and having to take what you're doing into account to get better at this game both Ah. of them have another person that is influencing your decisions the difference is one of them is not going to listen to you and one of them will might actually take your advice in like a co-op so I feel like they're almost the same, but at the same time, that difference is massive. Because working in a cooperative game, working together, and learning how to get better in a cooperative game feels so much different and feels rewarding and like you're figuring things out, where playing against somebody in a competitive game and trying to get better, trying to get better, to me, it doesn't ever feel as rewarding. I think, even though you're improving, they're also improving and it's against you. So you're going to move up at the same level with the same amount of dedication and time to that practice. And I think in my brain, I'm putting a lot of this into like magic or chess or really like two player competitive stuff. But I feel like there's a slight difference in that, but at the same time, they are very similar. Either way, practicing a game takes a lot. Like it's, it's, it's to truly get good at a game. You have to play it a lot of times to get good whether that be with people or against people, you're still taking other people's opinions and actions into account for getting better. So it just takes time. But I think that they are similar enough. They're just there are some big differences to me. I just don't know how to vocalize them correctly. That's been but and I think I think we could break that apart even further. I won't go into it in this episode because I feel like we could go forever in an episode that's already been pretty long. But I feel like you could even break that down further in uh when you're talking about games you're getting you're playing to get better on your own games. You do have that player interaction versus multiplayer solitaire games because you can't have like those individual goals, but you know, like you said, some you play against each other, some you play by yourself. And so I think what we should do for the purpose of this topic is talk about specific games where we have really tried to get better and also what skills we sharpened in a way. Oh, there you go. And so I think the first one that I really want to talk about is again, Billy Kerr. And so for me, I know whenever I first get in the games, it's not that I don't want to be cooperative. It's not that I don't want to, you know, help each other or play with each other. I get my, like, A student group project mentality where it's like, oh, I can do all of this by myself. And don't worry, guys, I'll carry the grade. And so that's my mentality whenever I first get into cooperative games. And Billy Kerr's no, I mean, no difference. Like, the first time we played that, like, I was just like, oh, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And it's not that we're trying to neglect the other players, just like, oh, I forget I actually have to cooperate and collaborate with others, not trying to exclude them, but I just put all the responsibility on me. And so for me, 
whenever I'm practicing that game, I have to remember, okay, what is my role? Am I the charge nurse? Am I not? Uh, what resources do I have? What resources can I give? Do I need the horde onto these resources? Can I trust that Delton's going to pay me back in resources on his turn? And so for me, whenever I'm really trying to get better at a cooperative game, that's something I have to be mindful of is to step out of my group project Haley mind and get into cooperative Haley mind. That makes sense. And so it usually takes me a round or two, but then I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. I gotta, I have to allow myself to rely on others. There's no deep-rooted issue to explore in therapy there. Don't worry. So the, basically for you, especially with cooperative games, uh, practicing those games is you understanding uh, kind of your personal limits within the game. Is that a good way to look at it? It's like, this is where my limit is. I need to give this other stuff to other people or let them take it. Yes. Okay. And knowing when it's okay to take charge and whenever it's okay to take the back seat. That makes sense. I think for me, the times I've really practiced games, uh, and it hasn't been very much, but like uh, Twilight Struggle, because you love Twilight Struggle. I can never beat you at Twilight Struggle. No game infuriates me as much as Twilight Struggle. Uh, and I even, at one point, you know, I paid for the, the 10 bucks for the app or whatever and was playing on the app to try to understand. Couldn't get any better. I, it's just a game that I don't understand the strategy. So I started reading. I read it. I started reading what's, what's the strategy because this is a game that there's tournaments in, right? Because the only thing in this game that is random is the shuffle of the cards and, like, what cards you draw. Everything else is set up the same from the get-go on the board. So it then is based on how you play with your hand and how you play against the opponent's actions. And I was reading all this and that and how, like, oh, you actually want a lot of the uh, cards of your opponent's type where they get to activate those events in your hand because that means you get to decide when these events take place. That's a good thing for you. And I was like, okay. And just all the different details and the different this, and you want to make sure to do this and this and put some strength here and go over here and you can ignore this region, all this stuff. And then I can sit down and try to play it. Nothing. Can't figure it out. Doesn't work. Don't understand why. And it's like that game was one where in playing that game, it gave me the understanding that I'm not going to get all games. I think that's my biggest thing I've learned in trying to get better at games. Sometimes they're just not going to click with me. They're just not going to work. I'm going to just get more and more frustrated and angry in the situation trying to get better at a game because I like Twilight Struggle. I think Twilight Struggle is an amazing game. I don't want to play it, but maybe once every couple years. Yeah, because that's something we got to keep in mind, too, is the uh, the frustration aggression hypothesis. Yeah. You know, a little bit of frustration is motivating, but too much frustration leads to anger. And not necessarily like ag- we think about aggression like a, you know, hitting someone or whatnot. I threw the board game in the garbage disposal. Yes, exactly yeah. that. But it can, you know, lead to that, that anger rising. And so I think that's important to keep in mind, like what you're saying, Del, is, you know, some games uh, you want to practice, some games you can practice and get better. But if it's just, like, continuously frustrating you, then you don't have to play it. It's okay. Oh, yeah. That's something that I learned. Well, I say I learned. That's something I should have learned from video games from a very young age. The amount of controllers I broke and things I threw. Because when you're a kid, you get mad and you just, and you do slam your controller into the ground, whatever you have to do to get that anger out. The older I get now, if I'm playing a game, especially a racing game, dear God, I love and hate racing games because they should be fairly simple and fun, but they always end up being way too difficult and frustrating, right? 
uh, I have learned to find my point of this is frustrating me. I'm turning it off because if I keep playing it, I'm going to get mad. And it's, it's, it's that that anger starts rising because it's, uh, it's, it's frustration that repeats itself, repeats itself, repeats. I mean, it's literally like you're trying to open a door and you open it and you pull it. And then somebody from the other side just yanks it shut out of your hand. And then you do that a couple more times. You're like, all right, what can I do to make this better? So you try two hands, you try wrapping your belt and using your belt to open it. You try all these ways to open the door, something to stop it from shutting. You can't figure it out. And at some point you're going to get so angry because you're doing this repeated thing, but constantly being shut down. And that's to me how some video games were, some board games feel when you feel like you're not progressing and you feel like you can't figure it out. That frustration builds. And I have learned throughout the years when to stop that, which is good. But I feel like that's something to be mindful of with yourself is if, if you're getting frustrated, it's okay to put it down and step away. It's okay to say, you know what? I'm done with this. There's no reason to come back and try. I'm obviously not having a good time while I'm practicing. Because if you're not enjoying the practice of playing these games, what's the point? I think that's also why they have escape rooms only last an hour. Oh, for sure. Can you imagine if you can just play it until you figure it out, how many people would just get so frustrated and like break shit? Oh, for sure. I mean, that, that probably happens all the time. Not with us, because we escaped in 47 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. So yeah, for you, like, uh, your learning in games, like you're learning how to get better at games, is also is not just you know learning a technique, but it's learning something about yourself too. I guess so. We've both kind of talked about like internal things we've had to learn, like you learning, you know, when to stop, me learning, you know, when to let other people take over, or how to share and cooperate. What about like a specific? skill that you've tried to sharpen in a game do you have something like that uh i don't know off the top of my head do you have one and i can think i do go for it it is patchwork i really 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 practice patchwork i love the spatial reasoning side of it and uh i really enjoyed uh, early in the pandemic we all a lot of our friends and my sister and delton and i downloaded the online version of patchwork the app and I really enjoyed playing that, and I, I, I played it for fun, but I was also playing it. That I think that was one of the first times I've actually played a game to get better, because I didn't really play a lot of video games. I didn't really play a lot of, you know, computer games growing up, but I really played this one to get better. And specifically, I played to get better than my sister. I wanted to get a higher score, a higher score, a higher score, throw all the random pieces at me. You go ahead and take that piece, because it's going to challenge me to try and find another piece that works. and. The only bad thing is, throughout the pandemic, my sister practiced too. And to give you an example, last time we got together, we played 34 games of patchwork. And we tied 17 and 17. How'd you play 34 games? Del, we sat here for four hours. Just game after game watching TV? Yeah, whenever we were watching that uh, mm -hmm. four-part murder documentary series. Yeah. And we are playing so fast, we're playing like 10 to 12-minute games. Jeez. Yeah, we tied 17 and 17. That's insane. Yeah. I don't think I could do that with patchwork. <laughs> but like that's one that we both love and we're both really trying we're not just playing the past the time, we're really trying to kick each other's ass. And when we were playing on the app, like I really was trying, I said, and that's you know, I, I talk about um you know, Delt and I have talked about like differences between our game play. Like I kinda like those random things thrown at me because maybe it makes me think on my feet. And that's how I was taking it. I was taking it as like an obstacle course. Okay, you give me that random wonky cross-looking piece, and I'm going to make it fit by God, and I'm only going to have three open spaces, and by God I did, but then I still can't defeat my sister. Womp womp. 
Womp womp. Just got to keep playing more. Get the app back out. I know. Play against the computer on hard. Apparently, that's the real difficult one. That's my stack of meat to punch. There you go. Your 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 cow meat in the freezer. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, I'm trying to think of like a a. I don't know about specifics, but uh, I think the the most I've learned playing a game and have uh without trying to necessarily actively practice, but kind of. Uh, I feel like the most I've learned and developed in any game, even though it's not a board game, is going to be Magic the Gathering. But I think part of that is I play with Brian, and Brian's a very good player. So it's nice to be able to play and learn these things, but uh, over the years, as we've played with Brian more and more, I've learned uh, I've learned different things that, like, yes, I'm not always going to win or something like that. Like, I'm not a great player. I'm fine. But there's things I understand a lot of times. I tend to... It's hard for me at first glance to understand what a card does, how much it influences the board state, how strong it can be. I'm not the greatest evaluator on that. But there's times where somebody can play a card and I immediately know, nope, getting rid of that, where it might not seem that way to someone early on. Like a lot of it in Magic, and this is a lot of two-player card games, uh, a lot of that is card advantage. If you are able to draw an extra card every turn, that's bad for me as the opponent. I have to stop that in some way. There is literally zero, I'm going to say, there is 0.1% of times that that will be good for me as the opponent. Because there might be a card somewhere in the world of Magic the Gathering or whatever that says, anytime your opponent draws a card, deal damage to them. I know those cards exist, but nobody uses them. But the thing is, is you learn these things like that. You learn these things like drawing a card can be a huge advantage. You kind of learn what cards have, like uh, what they call a value card. It may not be something that's a complete killer that you hit on the battlefield and the game's over, but if it's a good resource cost, it does something good, you get good benefits from it. Like having a card that's got good value is massive. And so I feel like I've just learned small things about magic throughout the years. And that's the game that I've played the most. And I definitely have improved the most of, I think, probably everything. Uh, just because we don't, we don't sit down with board games and play them as much as I've played Magic with Brian. And that's, I think that's one of the few games that takes study. Really less yeah. than practice, it takes study. Um, you know, you're talking about like Twilight Struggle too. That's another one that takes study yeah. a lot of times. And so uh, for you, what do you find yourself doing more? Do you find yourself studying or do you find yourself practicing skills more when you get better at games? Like what do you typically lean towards? If I'm trying to actually play and learn the game, my thing is just practicing the... the. I'm not going to study it much outside. I'm going to play it. So I guess developing the skill is more of what you're looking for there. So it's like Flesh and Blood, which I'm pointing at my cards now for those of you who can't see, which is everyone but Haley. And Margie. Uh, she's not looking. Flesh and Blood, I really love the game. I like playing the game. I don't go looking for all these combos. Like there was the day that I went to a draft and I drafted the one character that was busted in the Monarch set, right? We did a Monarch draft, drafted that. I was the only one at the table drafting him. I found out there were people hate drafting cards for him because he was that strong. I still played him, still had a good deck, but I didn't know how he was played. I never researched it. I didn't look into it. I had cards for him here at home. I could have built a deck, but I didn't. And until I played one of the guys who's one of the best guys that shows up at Unplugged, he said, you would have beat me, because he beat me, you would have beat me had you done this, let me show you how he works. He walked me through how the steps go, and I was like, oh, shit, okay, yeah, that would have been way different. He's like, trust me, do that every time from the get-go, don't stop doing it, and you're going to come out on top 90%. And I was like, okay, 
And sure enough, I ended up beating two people later in that, that same day, um, which it wasn't a lot of stuff, but playing the games to me, I find I not only have more fun practicing or learning, but it's a lot more fun than reading online and watching a video on how this works and trying to get into the nitty gritty. I just want to go play it. And if I have to do a rule lookup, I'll do it. I feel like we could do a whole separate episode on studying and reading up on games, not just like reading up and looking at, like you said, the BGG forums for, you know, rule clarifications or whatnot, or getting a feel for the game, but actually studying games outside of Magic. Because there's a lot more games that people actually study and like, oh, yeah. especially those that are used in competitions or tournaments. Yeah, which is a surprising amount. Surprising amount. But there are, there's a lot of people that study, study what different cards interact, how, and there's, there's so much that you can do to get better at a game. It's just crazy. There's also, there's so much you can do. There's different approaches. And in the end, it's really just comes down to, are you still having fun? I always want to emphasize that when it comes to practicing games, right? I find chess to be boring. I think chess is fun for a game, but I don't want to sit and play it over and over again, right? But a lot of people really love chess. A lot of people get better at chess by playing it. A lot of people get better at chess by studying it, learning it, reading stuff about it, watching videos on these different things. But as long as they're enjoying that process, I think it's fine. But the minute you start to see it as more of a, I mean, unless you're getting paid or something, if you start to see it as a chore, as a task, and it's supposed to be your hobby, I think that's when you have to reevaluate a little bit on your practice methods or just how much time you're sinking in in general. Or maybe that you're getting burnt out. Or maybe that you're getting burnt out, yeah. Which isn't something that goes away quickly. It takes a little while. So pace yourself. The only reason I do DDPY yoga is to get better at Twister. That's a skill I am honing. Get better at Twister with DDP. Hell yeah, brother. I feel like we could have broken this topic into like three or four or five different topics. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it was a good one to talk about. Yeah. Something we don't talk about often because we don't really practice games most of the time. I never thought I'd be as someone who would practice a board game. and, And granted, practicing patchwork, I mean, that's like a very minor game to practice. And then when it comes to Billy Kerr, I mean, Delton and I kind of practiced that, and we strategized together between the games. Like, that's the extent of my practice. But I still never thought I'd be a person who practiced a board game. And now that I have, like, I don't do it for every game. Like, I don't have to win every game. I don't have to have the perfect strategy for every game. But the ones that I really like to play and the ones I really want to beat, it's been really fun to practice it, to study it, to learn more about it. And so, like Delton said, if it's still fun, do it. But you don't have to. I will destroy you in patchwork unless you've practiced, though. That's fine. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games podcast special, Pint Size Question. So, the question for this episode is going to be, uh, what is something, and we originally named this as a lesson you learned from a game, but what is something you've learned from a game? Because we talked about practicing, which is learning a game, and teaching yourself the game, but what's something you've learned from a game? I don't know if that makes any sense. Well, I think the inspiration for this came from, well, of course, CO2, because it's the game of the episode. But in CO2, what you're really trying to do is save the world from destruction. It's very difficult to undo a lot of the climate damage that has been done. Yep. And then after not making it past the year 2020 a couple of times, you're like, ooh, yeah, this seems like we got a, a long road ahead of us. And trying to get multiple corporations to work together to do this really is hard. Yeah, it kind of gives you a, a, a sample of that for sure. So what's your answer, Haley? So for me, it was definitely playing Thebes. 
at first it's like, oh, yeah, really light, fun queen game. You're playing little archaeologist. But then you start to sift through the sand and get these treasures of these cultures. And you start to put them in your little bag and you start to put them away. And you're like, oh, I'm, I'm not only am I taking these artifacts from these lands, my characters represented as a very white person on the box who's being handed stuff by someone who's not white. It just doesn't feel comfortable after a while. Like, oh, yeah, I'm winning, but at what cost? Yeah, there's a, uh, there's a dark side to archaeology that you learn about in school when you talk about it a lot. And when you play Thieves. And when you've got the, the uh, what do they call them, the Elgin marbles, which are uh, marble sculpture from the uh, Parthenon in Greece, and they're in England, and they call them the Elgin marbles because the guy who quote-unquote found them, and it's a whole debacle for Greece to get those marbles back because that's part of like a huge piece of their history. So it's like a whole thing. There's a whole side of that that gets very dark very fast. It's just like on the box of Thieves, you have basically a guy who's Howard Carter who quote-unquote discovered King Tut's tomb Oh yeah, being handed that to probably take back and let it be carted around the Americas for the next 200 years for 15 bucks a pop. Nailed it. I think for me, and this is just because we we play historical games, we play games that have a history thing, uh, I'm going to say An Infamous Traffic from Cole Worley and uh, Hollenspiel, which you sadly cannot get your hands on from them anymore because they lost the license, but Cole Worley's supposed to work on that, I think, is his next game in this historical thing for with Whirly Gig, so who knows, but uh, it is a game about the English bringing opium to China, so a very immediately heavy and dark subject matter, but during the process of playing the game and learning the game, it brings up these things, and then it led me, both me and Haley, to then go read and talk about these things that are real historical events and go, holy shit, this is legitimate. And uh, it's one of those games that opens your eyes to like, oh, I never knew about this. We played it on a Friday night, and I spent I spent three hours the next Saturday reading about the opium trade. It was wild. It's a it's a whole thing, but I'm gonna say that I'm gonna say that's something I learned is just how uh, how crazy history can be, and that's part of the reason I like historical games, especially when they're like that and they take something that's very specific and use it. But then you have something like Little Scythe, which teaches you the power of friendship. That's so cute. But Yay! yes. Uh, so I think that does it for uh, this long episode. I want to give a shout out to our Patreon patrons. Thank you so much to Allison, Alan, Jennifer, and Cliff. Thank you all so much for supporting us on Patreon at the level in which you get a shout out on the podcast. Uh, thanks to everyone else on Patreon that also supports us. We appreciate all of you. If you have any kinds of questions for us, if there's a game you think we need to look at, a topic you want us to talk about, a question to answer on the show, or if there's a beer that you think we can get nearby you want us to review on the show, just send us an email, contact at malthousegames.com. You can also find us on all social media at Malthouse Games, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. Twitter is by far, though, the most active because that's the one I actually browse the most, uh, or I should say almost exclusively. You can always find me personally at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-K. Though less on Twitter nowadays, more on Instagram because it's been better for my mental health and well-being. That is at Squirrely Geek. Yes, uh, and by the way, since we are going to be in Las Vegas the end of May, 
Uh, we are going to be very busy, but if you are wanting to meet up and play a board game or something like that, feel free to shoot us a message. And if we have time in our busy schedule, we can always try to at least stop and say hi, something like that. Or if you want to meet us in a place literally called hell, let us know. Death Valley. Death Valley. Death Valley. Death, Death Valley. Valley. Nah, 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 nah. Uh, we'll be recording another episode before Vegas because the episode after this is slotted to come out during Vegas. And so yes. we'll see you again or talk to you again or you'll hear us again there you go. before then. But until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. You did it. I was reading your glass. We'll see you folks next time. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye.